live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything movies, TV, comics, and entertainment. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. And welcome to an all-new edition of the ODPH Podcast, otherwise known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What is happening, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He is the co-host. His name is Padawan J. Hello, hello, hello. And folks, we have a special guest for you today. I am super excited to have him on the line. And let me give a little background about this. See, a little peek behind the curtain of the podcast world. We are in a few podcast groups. And obviously, if you listen to the show, you know we shout out the Inner Circle, we shout out 607 Podcasts, and we shout out the Apocalypse. And one of our good friends in this whole podcast slash content creating community is our guy Frank over at the Geek Freaks Podcast. So shout out to him. And he came in in one of our chats, and he was like, guys, I know you read comics. I know you'd like to talk to creators. There is a book that you need to get in your systems. You need to talk to these guys. They are fantastic. The book is called Pocus Hocus, and you definitely are going to get hooked on this. So I was fortunate enough to get a copy of this, and Frank was right. The book is absolutely dope. It is one of the quirkiest, funniest, darkest humor comics out there. But I guarantee you after reading issue one, you're going to get hooked on it. And issue three is about ready to come out on Kickstarter. So instead of us trying to do a regular hype job for it, we thought we'd go to one of the creators and let them sell it to you just as much as we like to sell it to everybody else. So ODPH Society, please give a warm welcome to Alan Dunford. Alan, what is going on, man? Um, I think i don't need to say anything else in the podcast because i think you did a better job than i could probably <laughs> sell in my own so i guess we just end it here right is that what happens fair enough so the music you heard on this edition of the odp no i'm kidding <laughs> no uh, I'm, I'm so happy to be here um and then all the support that you, you guys have shown to us and the community just thank you guys and i'm super excited to, to dig into the book and, and to talk about it with y'all no, absolutely, man. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I, and I also have to give a quick plug, too. On Parlay Points, the comics blog we do, the reviews for Pocus Hocus have been some of the most viewed that we've ever done in the five years of doing this podcast, too. Oh, whoa. Okay. Yeah. So it's it's you definitely have a very strong movement behind this book because there are people that are chiming in every month. And, I mean, I can go through the numbers, but... I'm, I don't want to kind of you know take away from what we're going to be talking about here, but yeah. there is so much of a buzz behind this book that it's only grown with each issue. So why don't we just start from the beginning here and just how did this whole thing come about? Like, what was your history getting into comics here? Yeah, so I actually really like talking about this because um, it it does. When we talk to other creators and everything, they they talk about how they they've been in the comics you know forever and, and they they like to read them and work on them separately and do all this stuff but my my history with comics uh just kind of came whenever i was little and my grandmother I, you know i was raised with my grandparents so sunday was mine and my grandma's shopping day and she would take me to kroger 
and I would go buy comic books from there. And to my dismay, and I hate telling this part though of the story, uh, I was a dumb kid. And, well, granted, I'm still dumb. But, you know, that's, <laughs> that's beside the point. Um, I would get these comic books, and then I would read them, and then I would take them home with my three ring spiral punch and go straight down the middle. <gasps> oh, oh, yikes! <laughs> oh, yikes! <laughs> Holy shit! Them, and then we could keep them all together. <laughs> oh my god, man! I know, I know. <laughs> oh, that just hurts okay, hearing. So, yeah, believe me, because I I don't want to go back and think about like any like you know lost wages, right? It's yeah, yeah, not a gold mine and just destroyed. But um, I actually had this idea when I was about eight or so for this thing called the magician. Um, and this was before I could even spell the word magician because I remember I had to go ask my grandma how to spell it. And, I mean, I could barely even spell it now. But I, I took this, this idea and it was about the superhero magician uh, and I, I never did anything with it. And it's just kind of crazy to think about how the, the stuff that we did when we were kids can still affect us today creatively. Um, and I, I, just, I guess it must have just always been in my subconscious because... I never did anything with it. And then um, I approached Will one day and said, Will, I think I really want to make a comic book. And I, I kind of have an idea about this magician. And the, you know, as I get older and more cynical, it, it changed from a superhero magician to a Twilight Zone-esque ice cream man type book. Where mm. It was going to be episodic. And it was going to be about this like evil magician who lured people on stage and uh, you know did like demonic stuff, uh, real anti-hero kind of thing, and uh, you didn't know who to root for, and that's what kind of scared me because I, I like the idea of a horror thing. So, and I like the idea of the audience not being aware of oh, there's something happening to this person on stage and it's creepy, but you know. It, so then we we decided to make it linear, and then we have hocus hocus that's kind of how that that came into being but my influences for this actually came through manga because i'm actually a really big manga reader okay um, yeah i i i never do you know, to to kind of tell myself as far as comic books are concerned um i never looked for anything that wasn't considered that that wasn't out of the mainstream because i didn't know so like you know 300 and V for Vendetta, Watchmen, stuff like that. The only reason why I knew about them was because there was movies made on them. Right. So then I would read the popular stuff. Um, but now that I'm getting into the, the indie scene and looking the stuff up, man, there's so much great stuff out there that just flies under the radar and not enough people know about. Yeah, that's very true. I mean, the indie scene is exploding right now, especially with like Substack and Kickstarter. Like, oh, it's, yeah. it's a whole new world out there. Yeah, it's it's wild, and it's some of the most creative stuff. And I can actually kind of relate a lot of the indie stuff to to the manga that I read, because I think one of the reasons why I didn't get into comic books as much as I did in the first place was because it was intimidating. Mm. You know, you see Batman the Detective issue number one thousand nine hundred fifty seven. Mm-hmm. And you're yeah. like, oh crap! I don't have to read the others to catch up or really understand what's going on. And uh, with manga, you really start at just issue one. And they just tell their story, and then it's kind of over, you know. Um, and that's kind of what I like about the indie scene, is they're, they're not afraid to kill their characters off. Or they're, they're not afraid to go there with certain things. Because there, there's a certain level of anticipation that you have with the mainstream stuff, especially uh, you know, Batman, Superman, Spider-Man, all that stuff. 
you, you know that the character's not really going to die. The character can't die. You know, the character can't go through too much hardship because they have to be the hero. They have to rise up at the end. Mm. And with a lot of indie stuff, you don't know what you're going to get. And, and that's how I looked at it with manga, too, because with manga, you really didn't know what you were going to get with some of the how the heroes were going to play out and how the stories unfolded. No, it's very interesting about that. Pad, you got a question up there? Uh, yeah, so I know you talked about it a little bit, but like, did the idea for the book just kind of start in your head and just kind of flesh out from there, you know? And, and also, where did you get the name uh, for the book from? Uh, I mean, I don't want to take credit for, for calling my book Pocus Hocus. Because <laughs> That's such a great name, too, by the way. Okay, thank you, because um, it was one of those, I, I told Will, because, um, I, I, I mean, to my dismay, I thought of the credit, or thought of the name for the book, because I was like, we don't know what to call him. I was like, let's just call him Pocus Hocus, because it's it's a silly name, and the, the book does have humor in it. And it's really on the nose. And with a name like that, you kind of already know what you're going to get into. Because if you call something Hocus Pocus, um, you, you know, there's probably going to be magic in there, mm-hmm. uh, supernatural stuff. So then I just wanted to kind of just, we just called it Hocus Hocus. Uh, just because we really wanted to try to sell it and people just to be like, well, what the hell is this name? That's probably why people click on the reviews whenever you guys post Yeah, yeah. like, did they mess up? <laughs> I meant to put Hocus Pocus instead. Well, I- it's funny, though. Because at this point, it's too, um, I guess it doesn't roll off the tongue anymore. Um, if I hear someone say Hocus Pocus, it sounds weird. And I can't even hardly say it anymore. Just because we're so used to saying Pocus and stuff like that. Yeah, like I know when like when I try typing in, like for my spell check, it always goes to Focus. So it's always like Pocus, yeah, Focus. focus. And I, I like I don't know why I'm like why is this going here, but it's got to be something you know mystic with the name that like is just gravitating towards people like because I know and it's such a play on words too that like everybody goes like wait is it a typo and then they go read the book and it's like oh wow this is all, not what I was expecting but I'm happily surprised <laughs> yeah, they go oh wow some idiots actually named it focus focus yeah but it but it works so well I mean because even when you talk about like the character and the story like can you break it down for anybody that's not familiar with the book yeah so. Uh, the elevator pitch for this is it's about a magician who sells his soul to a demon to actually have magical powers to kind of bypass the part where he actually has to learn how to be a good magician. Mm. And he he does it for the fame, notoriety. The, it, he already comes from wealth because his father was actually the world's greatest magician. So that was one of his driving forces for doing it. Well, years later, he just becomes bored with it and... Uh, ironically enough, you know how these stories kind of go, the Faustian stories, the demon comes back. Yep. Now the demon is, you know, you kind of have a debt to pay. So here we go. And issue two really sets the stage for the conflict for why we are where we are. Um, we really need to make this as unique as possible because I, I believe me, I'm my own worst critic and I'm self-aware enough to know that this story about someone selling their soul is the one of the oldest stories ever told. I mean, hell, there, there's, yep. there's a song about it, about someone going to Georgia to sell their soul. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we had to really try to put our own twist on it and make it fun and just try to make it as unique as possible. And it's it's one of those, you write what you know. So we're, we're big fans of, like, Sam Raimi-esque horror and mm-hmm. that kind of violence and everything and uh we we think that we have found a happy medium with trying to balance some of the dark elements with some of the more unique fun elements with this kind of story 
Yeah, I definitely have to say you you definitely have a nice balance with that too. Yeah, uh, and you talked a little bit about issue two. Issue three obviously is going to drop here very shortly. Uh, what can you tell us about it? Yeah, so issue three is currently running on Kickstarter. Um, at, at the time that we're talking about this, we have 21 days left. Um, we're over goal, which was awesome. Nice, nice. Yeah, we actually hit goal, I think, like day two and a half. Wow. Just in- incredible. Uh, so now we're, we're in stretch goal territory, and that's always try to fun- That's always fun to try to push and everything. So um, issue three. Now, I, I, it's going to be a little bit of a spoiler-ish part because we actually have preview pages on the campaign for issue three. And, and they do give away some of the stuff for issue two, but um, in issue three, we're actually going to hell. Oh, boy. This was, we are so excited to get there and to show our version of what a Pocus Hocus Hell looks like and feels like. So at the end of issue two, Pocus's assistant, Emily, discovers the demonic book and the soul contract that mm-hmm. we sold a soul with. She approaches him with it, and it, we have to go to hell to try to go ahead and get it back because Emily is now drugged into this because she helped Pocus in one of the demon's tasks in issue two, unbeknownst to her. Yeah, that was such a cool twist, too, because I'm sitting there going, like, no, no, don't, 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 like, get off stage. And, like, bam, I'm like, oh, no, no, no. He's going, like, oh, yeah, you're you're now involved. So, yeah, everybody's coming with me. I'm in this one. Yeah, so we have a really, really fun line um, in at the beginning of issue three where Pocus is, you know, telling Emily, he's like, you know, why, why are we going to do this? And Emily's just like, I'm involved now. I led that person into the box. So it's it's kind of a really cool. That's we we wanted every character to have a motivation and a driving force mm-hmm. for why they're doing their actions instead of just throwing them in there. Um, and we, we we think that it, it helped really drive the story forward to have Emily involved, so that way she now has a stake in this as well. Absolutely. So how has the creative process been? I mean, now you got two issues down, one more coming out right now, obviously more coming after that. So how has this all been like coming to you? Um, so this was this is kind of scary because as of right now, knock on every piece of wood I can find, the the thing just kind of writes itself. Um, I think because the the book is a labor of love mm. versus a pro versus a project. You know, it it started off as a comic book project, now it's just like one of the best hobbies I could have ever picked up because of how easy and fun everything is with this thing. Um, you know, Will and I, we, we get together and the, the pages just flow. We write eight, eight to nine pages at a time, take a break because we don't want to overdo it. Right. Go back and then, and then we edit what we think could have been better and what we feel like could be better going forward. And we always try to keep in mind, we're always trying to forward think at least three issues ahead because we don't want to paint ourselves into a corner. And we, we don't want to do anything to jeopardize the integrity of the story or make it seem like we're, we're throwing stuff in there just to throw stuff in there. Because at the end of issue two, um, once it was finally printed and we read it, we're like, oh, crap. We didn't really put any magic in there for Pocus. Mm-hmm. Everything else was, was done by the demon or um, you know just other instances and nuances with that. Uh, but it was cool to us because you know, the audience knows that Pocus has these powers and it was kind of cool to see it because we didn't actually really have him using magic until the very end uh, with that scene between him and his butler, Ivan. Uh, It just, I guess it just didn't feel like we moved, 
it drove the story forward. But uh, I can promise you, in issue three, um, you will get your fulfillment of Pokémon Magic. Okay. <laughs> All right. Tell you anything? Yeah. We um, issue three is a very important issue for us and for the story because uh, we felt like issue one and two were just two giant teases leading up to this because you, you know the conflict's about to happen, something is about to explode, and then we finally get to issue three where we just throw everything at the wall, and I could not be more excited to get this into your guys' hands. Nice. Uh, so obviously the book is uh, on Kickstarter right now. You can go support it. Obviously you said at the minute's goal, but there are still stretch goals. Uh, I'd say yeah. Kickstarter is one of the more interesting things that come out in the, the last decade or so, however long it's been since it's been out. You know, it's gotten a lot of projects done and, and really made some things happen you wouldn't think possible. Uh, for you personally, what's been some of the good and some of the bad aspects of Kickstarter? Um, so the good aspects of it um, is obviously community support. Um, you, you never think about it and how you can actually get your word out, but it's cool to kind of see fans from all over the U.S. and even from other countries really taking to this book. And the, the my favorite ones, I mean, obviously, I, I love seeing the people that come in for the first time and they do like the catch-up tiers where they get issues one and two or issues one, two, and three. And mm-hmm. that, that part is so awesome to me. But seeing our repeat offenders, right, the, the people that keep coming back and uh, that we've seen since campaign one and just seeing that growing has just been so awesome. And that support is just so humbling because that's how you, you really feel like you're on the right track. Um, the, the biggest challenge as far as the, the inverse of that with Kickstarter is Kickstarter itself, right? It's the right. I feel yeah. like you put on yourself because I, I try to do my best to not do it and it's so volatile but I'm refreshing that thing all the time uh-huh. yeah. I, I hate myself for it because you want to know where you are and you want to share your excitement um, you know and then you you see the, the numbers slowly go up and then it just stops and then you see the number go down and then it goes back up again yep. it's just such it's such an emotional roller coaster and you know we were talking about this a little bit in the pre-show kickstarter is just such a strange beast because you know days one two and three and you know even four that's your really good strong days and then you have that lull for about 20 days and then the last couple days are another great great time um but yeah just it's that in-between phase for that's the worst part for me i think for kickstarter it's just like right you, you just want to sh- you like you're shaking your phone mm-hmm. and then like update yeah <laughs> yeah yeah but it was cool though because um i think it was day one uh we actually got the notification that we got uh the projects we love tag on there mm. so that was yes yeah, so that was really cool to see from kickstarter nice that's yeah i mean that's gonna be such cool and just so like liberating too it's like for all the passion project that this is and to see just how it's it's grown and just every issue is getting bigger and you're seeing more of fans turning into this book i mean that's gonna be just like an indescribable feeling yeah it it really is it's and like i said like i i think humbling really is, is just the best word for it you know aside from speechless because just the outpouring of support especially you know from people that you never met Mm-hmm. no idea who they are and then they reach out to you and they're like hey we love your book we love your work and that that's really when it's all worth it that that's really when it's worth uh all the hours you put into this and trying to assemble a team and get everything together and then uh yeah it's it's indescribable it's, it's like christmas morning especially getting all the pages back yep. and then finding people that love them and appreciate them as much as you do that's that's the best part about it yeah and especially too like if i'm if and please correct me if I'm wrong about this, but you're talking about assembling a team. Brian Bolando, who is your artist on the book, is actually in the Philippines? 
Yes, he is. So, um, so this is like a cross-continental book going on here. <laughs> yeah, we're Mr. Worldwide. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> kicking the pit bull. Yeah, there you go. Uh, but, man, yeah, Brian, uh, we actually got hooked up with him through uh, our friend Mike Teener, who's done some other books, and he he's really was instrumental for getting us there. Mike's done Midnight Highway and Black Jackets. Those are his big ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, he put us in touch with Brian because he used Brian before for another project of his, and Brian is better than we deserve, and I know that. <laughs> I, he's killing it on this book, too. Uh, man, he really is, and he his illustrations have really opened up and paved the way for our callers jason to be inspired and even our letter dave lentz he does so much excellent work on this book and i like i said being ignorant coming in here because this is my first comic book series i've, I've ever worked on mm-hmm. um i i didn't want it to read like it was someone's first comic book series that they've ever worked on so i think that was one of the big fears going into this was because everyone you know, you have that that fear of like, oh, bless their heart, they're trying. Yeah. So I, yeah. I, I didn't want that, you know. So that's why we were very careful and tried to be very methodical about who we picked and how we picked it and how we told the story and re- rewrote the script. I don't know how many times and rewrote the script. I don't know how many times, but uh, I think we landed where we did and we're so happy for it. No, absolutely. I mean, just for this being your first time book that you talked about, and is this Will's first time book too, Will, Will Radford? Yeah, it's both of us. Yeah, so Will and I, we actually went to high school together. Okay. Um, yeah, we we graduated together, and we have just remained friends ever since. So this is one of those things where we've we've always done creative stuff, but it's always been separate because Will has a background in film and screenwriting, and my, I guess, uh, talent, it, it comes into the form of music. And we find we both have the same interests. However, you know we love the horror genre, comedy, all this stuff, especially dark comedy. And then we just tried, just kind of merged our ideas and our influences together. And we, this is what we came up with. And it definitely shows too. I mean, there's just like such little touches that you see with the book, like especially like the it's mostly a black and white book. But when the magic happens, you see the the splashes of color that Jason Smith does in the book. And it really pops off like, you know, that these are events that you really need to pay attention to. Yeah. And that was something that we we thought about early was because in our minds anyway, um, we didn't think there was a lot of action that was going on on the pages mm-hmm. um, because we we wanted to tell the story linearly. But we also wanted to interest the reader. So we didn't know if we needed to tell the story like Quentin Tarantino it, right? Yeah. If we needed to start from the ending and then kind of lifetime movie record scratch. You must be wondering how I got here. Focus is just laying there with demons everywhere or something like that. You you must be wondering how I got here. Well, let me take it back and tell you about Focus. We we decided to go ahead and just take the risk. And then this is our story. This is focus selling his soul at the very beginning and then we're going to move until we get to present day this is our conflict this is our problem that's a great formula to go ahead about it pad you got another question uh yeah so uh let's just say hypothetically movies getting made about pocus hocus and you can cast whoever you want in this movie that you know they don't say no they don't go oh let me get back to you automatically say yes who would you cast oh man that's a tough question because uh, I'm because I'm seeing a lot of the prestige cast getting involved in this okay, one. Yeah, so we uh, we actually did an interview with Frank and we talked about the prestige for like 45 minutes. We could have gone way longer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but I think uh, Gary Oldman for oh oh yeah I could see that good one. 
Yeah, yeah. And for Emily, I was thinking maybe like uh, Amy Adams. Okay. Something like that. I think that'd be good. And I think a good curveball would be uh, Jack Nicholson as Ivan, the neurotic butler. Oh, <laughs> that would be incredible. Yeah, and uh, from the demon, oh, because I don't know who we have as the demon. Um, you know who I could I could hear doing the voice is Danny Trejo. Who? Dude, listen, I said that before, and someone said, no, that's impossible. I don't see it. So then I said the guy that played Gimli in Lord of the Rings. But, okay, perfect. I'm sticking Danny Trejo. I literally said that, like, last week. Okay. <laughs> that's wild. Yeah, no, no, that's that's where I first heard like because like you just you hear the the gruff voice but the strong voice too, and that and that's Danny Trejo to me. Like so, I was hearing that the first time reading. It, I'm like, okay, wow. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Yeah, I'll do that. And then, um, did you guys get a chance to uh, check out any of the preview pages by any chance? I've skimmed. See, I've been trying to hold off because I want to just read everything at once. Okay. Well, I'll I won't say who we have in the preview pages. I didn't know if you you had a chance to look at someone else in there. So I'll save that person for our next conversation of who I think should voice them. Okay. Okay. We'll definitely hold you to that. I know we're coming up against it on time, but let's do a, a last roll for this book. Alan, if somebody is still on the fence about why they should get this book, sell it to them. Because, I mean, I've already signed up for the Kickstarter package. I am a proud <laughs> patron of that. But I'm saying if we got to just drive that point home, if somebody's going, man, I don't know, I'm still like, I kind of want to dig this book, but should I really go for it? What's the selling pitch? Uh, the selling pitch is I think that you're going to love, love this because I'm very critical of my own work and I'm very happy with this. If you are into dark comedy, horror, it, it, action, just kind of the melds of all that, and even dialogue exchanges, I, I think that this book will, will be for you. And I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised because I, I don't think that the synopsis for this does it justice for what you're going to get into. I think that that is a perfect way to put it, and I cannot stress this enough, too. If you are looking for a very cool book to get behind that has got some great humor, fantastic art, solid storytelling, this is a book you definitely want to sign up for now. It's gaining a lot of buzz because from everybody from the podcast community to even the comic shops talking a little bit about this, it's really generating some hype that you want to get on board now before it gets too cool. And then you're like, oh, well, I missed out the chance when I couldn't get on board when it first happened. Because I'm yeah. – oh, go. No, I was going to say, yeah, um, you know, we we want to get in early with this because you want to you be that guy. You want to be that, that person that's like, oh, I knew about this before it was big. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but, I, but I mean this in all sincerity too. The blog views for it definitely are, are backing that hype up. I know from other comic fans I've talked to, they're all sold in and they're all in on this as well. And, I mean, that's just got to be such a rewarding feeling for this. I can't stress this enough, ODPH Society. We will have the Kickstarter link in the show notes. We will have this on the classified section by the end of the week. Go support this book. Definitely make sure it's in your pull list or digital, however you want to collect your comics. When this drops, you definitely want to get caught up on all the issues. Alan, I can't say thank you enough for coming through. we got to do this again sooner than later, my friend. Oh, absolutely. I have already, uh, you know, I was going to invite myself on for issue four. <laughs> oh, yeah, lock it in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's already locked in. Awesome. Hey, I appreciate you guys more than you know, and, and thank you to everyone listening. Uh, just, just thank you. Simply thank you. Absolutely. That's Alan Dunford from Pocus Hocus. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. 
You know what that sound means. It's another episode of Game for a Movie, where we ask, are you game for a movie? Tell me, Andre. There's no special features on that goddamn DVD, all right? Oh, wow. For Hansel and Gretel? Hansel and Gretel. You have a DVD of Hansel and Gretel. She basically has sex with it, somehow. Foreplay. Yes. She's she's chair foreplay. I mean, they knocked it out of the park, which is why it's my number three. Oh! Oh. (laughs) I mean, I wouldn't be in it because this movie doesn't have women. But, you know, that's why I was making it right. It has one? You would have three lines of dialogue. No, she has more than three. Okay. So I'm actually going to get, like, I actually get, like, I earn my, my, my four sentences of dialogue rather than, like, here, have a paycheck. You just stood there on the screen. You're a sexy lamp. Anyway, we're Phoenix, too. Uh, so, no. So no. <laughs> no. 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 Because they really hate each other, so we get to enjoy some wonderful comedic scenes of them hating each other so much that they get into physical altercations that include her biting detective, ex-detective Phillips's dick. I I know all of those words were English, but the way you (laughs) constructed them, I'm I'm lost. I'm not not following their reasons very well. For those who haven't rated us or uh, liked or given us a review, don't say that we haven't given you anything of value after listening to this podcast. You now know the difference between an R-rated dick and an NC-17 X-rated dick. You're welcome. (laughs) Thank you guys for listening to Game for a Movie, where we ask, are you game for a movie? We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast. And what an episode we have to discuss. Oh, my fucking God. If you have been avoiding the book of Boba Fett for whatever reason, the internet had a little rumbling today. I had a meltdown. Full blown. Yes. If you're a longtime Star Wars fan... Your head might have uh, exploded a little bit today. Uh Uh-huh. I might have woken up a few neighbors in my apartment. Yes. Not going to lie. So there's a lot to discuss about this because obviously the show, as we've been talking about from Disney Plus, has been met with mixed reviews. Yep. We say it all the time. And recently we've been having a more Mandalorian feel to it. Sure. Than we've had in the previous episodes and good, bad, and different, depending on what your vibe is about the show. Yep. But chapter six, as we are going to discuss definitely made its mark for a lot of different reasons. Uh Uh-huh. So let us go into that deep dive about episode six, entitled From the Desert Comes a Stranger. If you have not watched the episode, we're giving you fair warning now. After the countdown, we go into full spoiler talk. Also, at this point, you've probably been spoiled on Twitter because people are fucking assholes. Yeah, it happens. I've been able to dodge some bullets today, so yes. I, I did not get this spoiled for me, so I'm super happy about that. Neither but, did I. But we don't want to spoil it for you, so we are always put the show notes in the liner notes to where you can skip, and we don't want to ruin anything for anybody. Yeah. But we have a lot to discuss. That's why I'm getting a little more amped up about talking. So without any further ado, after the countdown, you know what time it is. In three, two, one, pad. What did you think? Surprise, surprise, motherfucker. The king is back. I will not hear any of the slander about Boba Fett being the one true king of men of bounty hunting. Yes, he is good. Yes, he is great. He is pretty damn good at what he does. Case in point, look at his track record. But the real fucking king is back. We'll get to him in a minute. Greatest episode thus far. Are we watching the book of Boba Fett or are we watching Mandalorian season 2.5? You could argue 2.5. I think we're at 2.5 level. And I, I'm, I have mixed feelings about this. Sure. One, I don't mind it. But at the same time, 
if you didn't have this long of a story for Boba, like, why are we doing this and just dragging out the space in between we, when we see him last to now? I think it's setting up a much larger picture that we obviously can't see yet because with the pieces they're introducing and the pieces they're moving around, I, I don't think you do this just for, like, a quick episode and move along the story and then move along here about your day. I, I think, you know, a lot a lot of times in Star Wars, they have an episode and it seems like filler. It seems like throwaway, like, ah, you know, whatever. It doesn't mean anything. Like, I remember there was an episode of Rebels, uh, you know, the second animated series Dave Filoni did, where I think it was like season one or two. I think it was season two. Mm-hmm. They had him steal blockade ships that, like, could ram into stuff and, and make some holes in space. And at the time, it was like a self-contained episode made no sense why are they doing this this doesn't make any sense flash forward to rogue one those fucking ships show up you know at the battle over scarif so it's like okay doesn't make sense now but eventually at some point down the road there's going to be some payoff i think that's what we're seeing here i'm hoping so and like i say i'm not mad about this episode i don't want to come off like that but i guess what really grinds my gears a little bit is if it's not going to be centered around boba and we're interjecting a lot of the mandalorian in here can you even call it his show? I, I I think you still can. You know, the part that irks me is the people online saying, oh, they did this just because of the negative reaction. Folks, no. this this show was filmed like a year, year and a half ago. Yeah, exactly. They're not filmed. They're, this ain't South Park, you know, with Matt Stone and Trey Parker, you know, where they're they're working on it week the week of. Mm-hmm. Like, this was done months, months ago, if not a year plus. You know, this isn't in reaction to the negative response. It's getting online. No. Yeah. No, they've already had this film, so this is already yeah. how it's been set up. Yeah. I just kind of question that about it. Like That's the only thing I have to really say negative about this episode is just we have so many cameos from some familiar faces that don't necessarily tie into the story we've been doing. And I think that either that's going to really hurt the final episode or really help it, but we won't know until next week. Mm-hmm. Because as we jump into this episode... We kick off with an old friend, Cobb Vanth, yep. played by Tim- Timothy Oliphant. Yeah. We know him as a Boba ally uh, and Mandalorian a ally. Boba impersonator. Yes. You know, like I say, well, I consider him an ally because he paid homage because he wore the armor of the king. He was an impersonator. But still, we see as he is on Tatooine, he is taking care of some spice runners from yep. the Pike Syndicate. Yep. That he is really trying to establish that this area is his and it's going to be kept drama-free. Yeah, and this is kind of something I don't think we've seen in Star Wars before, at least not that I can remember, where it's there's kind of like, we know that there's most Espen, we know there's most Eisley and, and some of the landmarks and whatnot, you know, but there's never been kind of this established, like, okay, there are separate territories or separate regions or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, and this is kind of, it's an interesting setup, and it makes all the sense in the world. I mean, it's, a, it's essentially, you know, a space you know, Western town, you know, with, with smugglers and gunslingers and law and, and disorder and all that, you know? So it, it was awesome to see that he, you know, you've got this kind of back alley deal, although there wasn't really much of an alley, but you mm-hmm. get, you get what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, I get what you're saying. You know, of them trying to do a deal. And he's like, Hey, listen, I don't know what kind of deal y'all got. And I think he even said y'all, you know, y'all got going over there with the mayor, but that doesn't apply here. This is a whole separate area. I'm the law here, and you need to get moving. Exactly. So as he deals with the Pike Syndicate, that's going to come in a little later in the show. Yep. But then we do a jump to catch up with our favorite Mandalorian. Yep. And we see Dim Darjan is now on full course to go see Grogu. Uh-huh. The feel-good moment of the year. Yeah. 
But when he gets to the planet he's supposed to be at, who does he run into, Pat? Uh, one R2-D2. He gets uh, basic because it's basically an uninhabited planet minus uh, Luke and Grogu. You know, so he gets directed into the planet. He lands and it's R2 and he starts trying to talk to R2. And he's like, hey, I'm looking, you know, I'm looking for Luke. Beep, boop, boop, pop. You know, I'm, I'm here to see the kid. Beep, boop, boop, pop. And he just takes it and starts, uh, R2 starts rolling away. And he goes, okay, I guess I'll follow you. Yes. And as he's following him, he does notice that, well, some things are getting built. Yep. And, Pad, what is this? Uh, this is the eventual school that Luke will use briefly, I think, uh, you know, on said planet to teach the next generation of Jedi. But spoiler alert, if you've seen, you know, the sequel trilogy, you know how that's going to go. Yeah. So this is all going to lead to disaster when it comes to. Yep. But in the meantime, we do see that Luke Skywalker is training one Grogu in the ways of the Force. And we do see Mark Hamill back in the salad. Yep, I would say kudo- kudos to Luke. He's a, like I know Grogu is like f- technically 50 plus years old. Mm-hmm. It's still a child. It's still a baby. So like good luck training this thing uh, there dude. Uh, it's going to be a bit of a challenge. Yeah, he's obviously trying to work his Jedi magic on young Grogu. Yeah. yeah. And it's being met with a little resistance. But then again, like you touched upon Grogu is a child. He's a he's a baby. Like, I had the subtitles on just because I wasn't trying to get the volume too loud so I didn't wake my neighbors. Mm-hmm. There were multiple subtitles that said Grogu Coos, C-O-O-S. Yeah. So he's making baby noises. So he, he is a baby. And as any teacher will tell you, there was no training for this. No, there was not. And you can see Skywalker's struggles with this. Yeah, because he, he learned and trained as a young adult, you know, 18, 19 years old, whatever it was. So... Ben Kenobi and Yoda didn't have to deal with that. So he doesn't have any of that experience of dealing with that. He's kind of learning on the fly. Yeah. And he definitely is going through those growing pains in that aspect. Yep. But he decides to try reminding Grogu about his past because he feels that there's a connection. Wow. Did he ever make a mistake with this one? Yeah. I mean, you knew this was going to come up at some point because as we, as we mentioned, it was brought up in, I think it was season one that Grogu was 50 years old. And if you know anything about when stuff takes place in Star Wars and specifically how the calendar works, you did the math. I know I did. He was born sometime around Phantom Menace, which meant he was in the Jedi Temple for a certain Order 66. Yes. Yikes. And you see through Grogu's eyes, Order 66. I mean, Filoni's never one to pull punches on anything. No, but. Anything he does, but yo. This was freaking wild. Yeah, it was. I got to admit, I was like, oh my God, we're Uh going here. This is now our one, two, Three fourth scene we've seen from Order sixty six. Obviously, there is the one from the film. There's the one from Clone Wars. There's the one from Jedi Fallen Order, and now there's this one. Yes. So while Grogu is going back down memory lane, the Mandalorian is still trying to locate him. Uh huh. And runs into another familiar friend. Yeah. So he he kind of lays down because he knows he's not going anywhere anytime soon. He gets woken up, and uh, we end up seeing Ahsoka. Yes. Uh, which I did not expect to see. Yeah, Rosario Dawson reprising the role. Yeah. And they kind of have a one-on-one about what's going on, and it's basically being blamed a little bit on the Mandalorian, that Grogu's not enhancing yeah. his training because of the bond they have. Yeah, and, and uh, the Mandalorian even brings up, like, hey, why are you here? I thought you said you weren't going to teach him. And she goes, oh, I know. I, I'm I'm not. And he goes, "So, and I love this fucking line. Oh, my God, I marked out so hard. You know, so why are you here? Old family friend. Yeah. Oh, my God. Because, of course, Ahsoka was the Padawan to Anakin, Luke's father. Uh-huh. Loved it. Yeah, it was a very cool throwback line. And definitely resonated with the fans. Because that's what everybody's been buzzing about online today uh, with. 
But you do see they kind of have that back and forth. And the Mandalorian does give Ahsoka a gift to pass along. Yeah, so he he has the gift. It's the gift the armorer made for him. And he wants to take it to the kid. But she goes, listen, if you see he's already very attached to you and he's already having difficulties. Mm -hmm. If you go see him, that'll just make it all the more difficult for him. You know, if you want, if you really want what's best for him, let me take it to him. And he, you know, reluctantly agrees. Goes, okay, here. Yeah. So he takes off for Tatooine and goes back to the house of Boba Fett. And Boba is now addressing everybody about what's going on. Yeah. This was a weird roundtable moment because it did not give you the most confidence. Yeah. Albeit though, when Mando came in and name dropped, he's like, "Yeah, Fennec sent for me." Oh, yeah, he was welcoming with open arms, came in. There yeah. was a kind of the cool yeah. like head nod moment. Yeah. And I can't wait to see this crew get going on the battle that's coming. And as we, and as a lot of fans online speculated, uh, Black Kirsten, the uh, Wookiee, was in his employ. Yes. I know a lot of people speculated we see him again, and thankfully we do. Yeah, I can't, he's going to be the breakout character of this show. He's, Guaranteed. He's awesome. Yeah, he's fantastic. And he did, far. and he did get a ringing in, endorsement from uh, the late Peter Mayhew's widow. Oh, very cool. Yeah, if, if uh, you look up Peter Mayhew's Twitter account, there was a message posted to his Twitter account from the widow. You know, basically saying, "Welcome to the family." Yeah. Oh, that's dope. That's yeah. very cool. But we do see uh, Darjin talking with Boba, and and Boba's basically saying. Yeah, we got a little bit of problem. We need to get manpower. We got some shit going on, and I can't do it alone. Yeah. Which he, is saying a lot for him. Yeah, which, I mean, but you got to say this about Boba. He has definitely been more realistic about everything going on. And he knows his limitations. Yeah, so, I mean, this proves why he's the baddest of the baddest. So he is definitely assessing this from a distance, but Mando pops up and says, you know what, I got an idea. I think I can go get some people. Yep. So as he goes to go visit the old friend... Well, things are not exactly great in Freetown. We also did get a callback to season one as he was flying over the landscape of Tatooine where he flew over the Jawa Sandcrawler, which had the skull on top. Yes. It's the skull from season one where he helped get the whatever the that was the crate Dragon uh, skull that was on top. So I was like, oh, it's and they even started waving to him. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that was a cool little you know Easter egg moment. Yeah, yeah, I definitely forgot about that. But that was so. I mean, they had so much going on in yeah. this episode. Yeah, like you blinked and you definitely missed something. Until we go to Freetown. Yep. And then we kind of see that. Well, the offer is kind of being made to Cobb Vanth mm-hmm. about you know there's some rumblings you know troubles coming. And trouble's coming because, as we saw with the opening, you know, he did confront those Pike Syndicate folks. Uh, there was, I believe, four or five, four or five of them? Four of them, I believe. Four of them. Uh, they tried to get the, you know, he had his hand on his gun. They tried to get the one up on him because, hey, four on one. Usually the odds are in your favor, mm-hmm. four on one. Uh, not the case. He killed three of them and goes, hey, uh, you know, listen, I'm the law here. And uh, it ends up coming back to bite him in the ass. Yeah, because after Mando makes the pitch that Boba needs help, Obviously, Vanth is sitting there debating about it, but Mando takes off before somebody shows up in town. Uh-huh. And this was a moment that shattered the Star Wars internet. Pad, you take the honors. Uh, so he gets notified that somebody's outside and, and coming towards the, the town. He goes outside and looks, and he knows he can see this person coming to, uh, to them and knows that there's nothing good. He tells somebody outside, like, hey, tell everybody to go inside. Something's about to go down. Uh, his deputy, who's a bit of a bonehead, uh, yeah, comes out and says, "Oh, you need help on this." No, and he's like, "No, you don't want to be outside for this. Go back inside." Deputy, of course, doesn't listen. And at, and I get for me personally, 
I couldn't tell who it was at first, but I'm like, all right, something's happening here because this is drawing on for, you know, it's like at the end of a WWE event when it's drawn on for a while, like, all right, something's going to happen here, you know? And, but then as the figure got closer and it, it started to become clear, you know, the silhouette and what they look like, I sat up and go, oh, went, oh my God, there's no way. There's no way. And then you got closer and you saw the outfit. And I went, oh my God, it's Cad fucking Bane. Yeah. If you don't know who he is, he was a bounty hunter that first made his appearance in Star Wars The Clone Wars. And of course, this episode was directed and written by Dave Filoni. So of course, Filoni's going to bring him back. Uh, you know, so surprise, surprise, motherfucker, the king is back. And the reason I say he's the king is because if you don't know, you should watch, you should absolutely watch Clone Wars. It's amazing. But there is one episode in Clone Wars where he holds the Galactic Senate hostage with Sidious inside. Hmm. He also breaks into the Jedi Temple, which when this idea is pitched to him by Sidious, go, he goes, it's impossible. You can't do it. But he does it. You know, he's he's captured Jedi. He's done everything he can. He's been doing shit since Boba was in diapers. You know, so Cad fucking Bane has been hired by the Pike Syndicate to take out uh, Vanth. Yes. And he does have that standoff. He does shoot Vanth. But it was not a fatal shot. I want to know this was this hit him in the shoulder. It looked it looked fatal at first, but then I'm like, oh wait, no, I rewound it. I'm like, oh, okay, he's good. Yeah, but he did get rid of his deputy. That annoying yeah. guy. Yeah, I mean, listen, that's no big loss. No, it wasn't. But the fact that he laid four shots into him was like, yeah, he's sending a message. Yeah, but and I, I guess I was exci- excited. I looked it up. It was the same voice actor from uh, Clone Wars and Corey Burton. Yeah, it was a hell of a debut for live action like i wasn't sure they'd ever be able to pull him off in live action just because i'm like obviously you need some prosthetics or cgi but like fuck they made him look scary the one thing about the star wars disney plus universe is anything is really possible this is true like for what they've been able to pull off of the special effects in this show yeah like they've it's been nothing short of like amazing this does feel like watching the movies i wish the you know the last set of trilogies watched this i agree with you just gonna put that out there but we don't end the episode on that note. We do see the the Pike Syndicate is making their way through Mos Espa. Yep. They blow up the one bar. Yeah, the, the sanctuary or whatever it was called. Yeah, so that obviously is making the first shot of the battle. Saw coming. that coming from a mile off when the two Pike guys got out from the bar and the droid goes, oh, you forgot that. And I, about a split second before it went off, I'm like, oh, that's a bomb. Yeah. And then kaboom. Yeah, so the first shot has definitely been thrown down by the Syndicate. But we do get left with a cliffhanger mm-hmm. of sorts. That Luke is sitting in the newly built temple. Yep. He's talking to Grogu, and he's basically saying, well, I have a gift from the Mandalorian, and it's armor. Yeah, and, and this is after there was an incredible montage sequence, uh, much akin to Luke's training uh, on Dagobah, where Grogu was running and jumping across stones, uh, basically showing off, hey, he's been learning a few things. Mm-hmm. So he's definitely been learning a little bit about the Jedi way, but... Skywalker gives him an ultimatum. Uh-huh. He's like, either you can take this gift and we'll send you back with the Mandalorian, or you can have behind door number two, Yoda's lightsaber. Okay. Time out. Plot hole with this one. Okay. Where the fuck did he get it? Because if you're... Now, I'm going to flex my Star Wars knowledge. Go ahead, my friend. Star Wars knowledge here. We never saw Yoda's lightsaber in episodes four... Or no, excuse me, he wasn't in four. Episodes five or six. We never saw his lightsaber in episode one. We only saw his lightsaber in two and three. The last time we saw his lightsaber was fighting Sidious, Sidious, and he dropped it in the in the Galactic Senate. Now, is it possible that it's just as simple as, oh, Yoda just built another one? Sure, but still, where the fuck did he get it? I'm guessing that when they went through after the, the battle there, yeah. 
somebody picked it up. I like could, like it could, could be Ahsoka, it could be somebody else. Could be. You know, after the remnants of the vet. Could be. And it, and it, listen, it's entirely possible that Sidious found it and had it in his te- because he took over the Jedi Temple and that was his Imperial Palace. It's entirely possible that he put it on like a display case or something oh, just to it. show off to people. So it could be possible that way. Yeah, but the fact that Yoda's lightsaber is now presented to him, this is going to be the difficult question to ask. Uh-huh. Because now what do you choose? Why not both? Well, that's what I was kind of sitting there like, listen, if he wears the armor of the Mandalorian, that's not taking anything away from his training. Right, but it, but Luke is still on the like hard Jedi path of like no attachment, and that's still showing he's attached to the Mandalorian and, and that whole way. Yeah, I, I understand that, but I was, I was like, Luke, come on. Man. Yeah, I mean, Luke, Mr. I can save my father. No, I can't give up on my father form attachment. Yeah, I know. Yeah, like yeah. you, you the, can't. The Star Wars fans on Twitter were calling Luke out on that one. Yeah, you can't, yeah. Pl- you can't play that card. Yeah, no, like, I'm, he, I'm he's, sorry. He's playing it, but he has no right to. Yeah, exactly. Like, you, you have yeah. to fold that hand. Yeah. You have to go, yeah. okay, reshuffle the deck and, and do another one. Like, you can't play that. But that's how we leave this episode at. So, with one more episode slated to go down next week. What is your feeling about the show now, Pat? Uh, the show's been great. You know, obviously it's not hit a home run every every episode, but I've still enjoyed the shit out of it. This, was, to me, was the best episode they've done thus far, just for all the callbacks and all the moments for Star Wars fans, new and old. You know, I'm super excited to see where they go with this, and I got a feeling it's going to be nuts, and I don't think we'll get a resolution on Grogu's choice until Mandalorian Season 3. I have to agree with you too. I think, I, I, I think the whole reason they're doing that whole little plot story is it just it wouldn't really fit on the front end of Mandalorian season three, and it's just it's kind of like an interlude or like something between two comic arcs. No, I, I agree with you too. In fact, I'll even say right now, I think it's going to be the bonus scene next week. Could be because they obviously are going to film Mandalorian season three. It's going on right now. I think yeah, if it's not on right now, it's very soon. Yeah, I feel that with this show. They want to go out with a big battle next week, and that's what they need to. I think anything short is not going to oh, fly. It will, and then next week's episode is directed by Robert Rodriguez. Yeah, so I'm expecting some wild action going down with this More one. Danny Trejo. <laughs> More Danny Trejo, the better. I have to feel, though, they have to end the show on a very good note, possibly a cliffhanger, because I feel, even though... The show has been met with mixed reviews. I feel they're going to do another season. I, I'm getting the feeling too. Just there's way too much being set up right now. Yeah. For it, you know, it's not it's not like Wandavision where everything was getting built. It was kind of like a self-contained. You could tell it was getting towards the end, and there's really not much that was going to happen afterwards. You know, this is feeling more like a Loki type situation where they're building up and building up, and, and there's still so many plot holes. You know, and, and not plot holes, but threads left at the end that they haven't tied off. Yeah, because I mean, the show is definitely still being watched. Oh yeah, there's even the people that are complaining about it. Guess what? You're doing the whole WWE theory. Well, I don't like it, but I'm still watching. Yep. Like if you don't like it, don't watch. But the ratings have been very good. I mean, I don't, I don't think they're on the WandaVision level. No. But they're definitely drawing people in to go check the story out. And I feel that for next week, we have to have a big battle. I think we're gonna have a cliffhanger ending because I think they're gonna announce. Book of Boba season two. I would imagine so. It, it, chapter two is going to be coming. And then obviously I think that the biggest cliffhanger we're going to have is Grogu makes his decision. Yeah. That's what causes Mandalorian season three. Yeah. And we get the little teaser for that at the end of this one. So a lot of stuff, though, to be happy about with this episode. This was a love letter to Star Wars fans and definitely had a lot of Easter eggs. And like I said, my only drawback with this is not enough Boba to push the story. Sure. But if they make up for it next week and we get a crazy fight sequence... 
I this is all I want. I just want to see some chicken blown up and some wild action going on next Oh, week. I'm sure it will. Yeah, if anything less, it's going to call it a failure. But we give you our takes. Now we want to hear yours. Hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. What is your thoughts about Chapter 6, From the Desert Comes a Stranger, from the Book of Boba Fett? We want to discuss, so let us know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Chris. And Lance. Asking you to check out our new podcast, Comic Book Keepers. Join us as we delve deep into comic lore to uncover the history behind a wide variety of comic book characters. Each episode will feature one hero, villain, team, or ensemble, and break down what makes these heroes super. We'll give you recommendations on what storylines to read. Explain how characters were created. Discuss adaptations, costumes, and answer comic fandom's what-if questions. Yeah, and spoiler alert, these conversations can get pretty nerdy. This is Comic Book Keepers. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. Let us talk now about the best show on CW. Yes. And where we're going in this wild saga of Clark Kent and Lois Lane. Yeah. Season two of Superman and Lois has came back very, very strong. We, oh, yeah. We have been ranting and raving about this for quite a while now, and it has not let down yet. Tyler Hoechlin and Elizabeth Tolick have definitely been playing the title characters to the letter. It's been phenomenal acting from the entire cast all around. And with the surprise announcement of who the main villain is this season, which yeah. caught everybody off guard. I don't want to hear anybody said, oh, I saw that one coming, because you didn't. Bullshit. This show has really taken it up a couple notches. We're waiting to see where we're going with this crazy story going on with just Superman alone, not talking about the rest of the family. So let us deep dive into episode four entitled The Inverse Method. You know the deal by now. After the countdown, here we go. So in three, two, one. Pad. What did you think? Uh, I thought it was an all right episode. You know, not the best they've ever done, but I still enjoyed it. I thought they spent a lot of time on the non-Superman characters, which I'm not mad about. Yeah. I thought they did a nice job balancing everything. Yeah. But the biggest takeaway that I had is we saw Jenna Dewan come back as Lucy Lane. Yeah. And I was not expecting to see her reprise her role from Supergirl, but I'm very happy to see her back. Yeah. Because with the whole defamation story going on with Lois and the cult of Allie Alston, this has been a, a plot that has definitely got me more intrigued now yeah. to see where they're going because we do see a little flashback of Lucy taking off and arguing with Lois because of what Lois was saying that basically Allie talked to her into trying to ascend to a different level. Yeah, uh, air quotes, ascend. Yeah, so obviously through the lines, you know what it is. there's some very bad stuff going on, and Lois was made a point to try taking Allie down. Well, now this has resurfaced a little bit that the sources involved with the story are recanting are recanting suddenly. So yeah. Lois's reputation is getting really destroyed right now. It's got more holes in it than Swiss cheese. Yes. So now Allie has shown up to Smallville to confront Lois, and they definitely have uh, a very cool standoff. I have to say, from the past couple episodes, because yeah. Lois is not backing down from anybody. She's one of the strongest characters in all of comics. Oh, absolutely. So she is not intimidated by what's going on here. And the only question that was going to go on was, obviously, we saw that Lucy showed up. And how is this going to interact? Because the relationship has definitely been very rough between them. Yeah. And we do see that Lois finally gets Lucy to agree to meet with her. Yep. 
And albeit, though, that Lois's ally at the paper in town, Chrissy, tries going undercover yeah. into Allie's... Uh, self-help group. Yeah, however you want to define that. Let's face it, it's a cult, but it kind of comes off as a self-help group. Oh, yeah, I know. And how it's getting spun. I mean, they're doing a masterful job about trying to really shadow what's going on. Uh-huh. But Chrissy is undercover there trying to see what's going on, and they one-up Lois because they put a camera in the room where Lucy yeah. meets up with Lois, and they yeah. have a very emotional exchange talking about what's going on. And just how this is all going down yeah. is really eye-opening to Chrissy. Because now she's really having doubt about Lois. Her, her proverbial cage has been rattled. Yeah, it's absolutely crazy to see how just quickly that alliance has dissolved. Because by the time it's all said and done with the back and forth of what's going on, yeah. Chrissy and Lois are not exactly in a good place to be working together to try stopping Allie and which, no. whatever her next move is going to be. And Chrissy even says, listen, I, I need to take some time and, and kind of get my head on straight before we talk again. Yeah, so this is definitely not Lois's best moment on the show. But no. Elizabeth Tolick was definitely really bringing a strong performance with this episode, as was Jenna Dewan too, because this is something that you're really seeing just the emotional toll of what Allie has done taken on them. And it really just stood out from this entire episode. And then to look at what's going on with the rest of the Kents, I was happy the Jordan's little love story with Sarah got put on the back burner a little bit, and yeah. the other characters got some time. Yeah, Lana's story about the you know her mayoral race, yeah, definitely got very interesting. Oh yeah, they're playing slow burn with that, but it's a very good slow burn. Yes, indeed. So obviously she is meeting some very stiff opposition going on. Yeah, and then. The revelation about her husband, yikes! With the affair to yikes, did not see that coming. But well, wow, yeah, because you had the Lana and her husband were out for dinner, you know, and and they're going to head back to their car to go home, and they meet up with, and they end up running into the mayor. Oh, how convenient, mm. you know, and and he ends up confronting uh, the husband ends up confronting the mayor, like, hey, listen, stay out of our daughter's affair, blah blah blah, blah back and forth. And he brings up the line. He's like, listen, I know you're like, you know, to throw back some tequilas, but I didn't know you liked them so dirty. And I'm like, the fuck does that mean? Mm -hmm. And then we come to find out, you know, oh, hey, listen, ignore him. He's just trying to get in your head, blah, blah, blah. You're trying. He's trying to get you to play in his hand. Don't do it. He's like, yeah, yeah, I know. And the wife goes, you're sober. We know that. And I'm like, do we? I'm like, I don't ever remember them saying anything about his sobriety. Yeah, I don't either. You know, but then it f cuts to the end when he goes into a bar and I'm like, oh, he's relapsing. And, you know, but then it's like, wait, maybe he never was sober. And then come to find out, not only is he not sober, he's cheating on his wife. Yeah, this was absolutely wild to see all go down. Eric Valdez definitely had a strong episode this week. And obviously the confliction with his character, Kyle, Definitely, we're going to see more of going on with the season. Stand too. up, family guy. But this is one thing when you talk politics, no matter where it is. I mean, yeah, the, you you, it, you get in politics, skeletons are coming out of that closet. It's the dirtiest game in the world. Yes. And Lana's, I, we're going to see if she's really built for it. And this is where it's going to get really tested about what's going to go on with her family. And we're going to find out more about the Cushings as the season goes on, too. Did get more of an update, too, about what was going on with John. Yeah. Uh, listen. Don't do drugs, kids. Oh, man, Jonathan Kent. What can you say about him? He's an idiot. He, Jordan Elsass, MVP of the show. Oh, absolutely. Like, he's doing a great job acting. Uh, his, you know, Jordan's plot, or Jonathan's, I should say, the whole plan of trying to get back at his rival on the football team. Dude, it's going to blow up in your face. 
mm-hmm. when when you're living uh you know friend you know says hey do you smoke weed like it's coming off pretty obvious you're on something and if she can tell your super powered father is going to be able to tell yeah so it's going to be interesting to see how his story plays out because Will he get superpowers by the end of this? I think so. See, I think something weird's gonna he's gonna happen. get he's gonna get something. Will it be Superman type powers? I don't think so, but it'll be something. Yeah, because I got I'm trying to remember if they had like a power broker type character in the DCU. Not that I can think of. I it's not really jumping at me right now. Like because in Marvel they did have that at one point, like in the 80s and 90s, where they'd have uh, a broker that was augmenting humans only, for yeah. superhuman muscle. Well, I mean, the only thing that I can think of is if Mexoplex showed up. And started fucking with shit. Yeah. Well, you know, he's due. Yeah. He's due. Yeah, I could see that happening. I mean, I don't know. I think we're going to see him right away, but no. I, I think we're going to see him. But then let's get to the heart and soul of this episode. Bizarro is now in this universe. Yep. And what he's doing to Clark is really pushing a lot of things. Yeah. Because Clark is very much not in his comfort zone. No. He obviously doesn't have uh, his father-in-law running the DOD. Yeah. And being able to help him, even though Jordan is now getting some help from him. Yeah. That was kind of like a little throwaway scene, but yeah. still, I think yeah. that's that's going to imply something more. We do know that Lieutenant Anderson, uh, yeah, who is the worst of the worst, Dick, is trying to assemble the Superman of America, which I was like, the first time I was like, yeah. SOA, like Sons of Anarchy, like this is not going to end well for anybody. Uh, which you haven't seen that show on FX. I know it's obviously oh, yeah, yeah. a great show. You have this issue where Bizarro is now running around the planet. He hasn't uttered really much of anything. And where he's really just trying to find his way of what's going on. Well, he's got, he's got a planner agenda of some sort. What we don't know. No, we don't know. He just has a pendant right now that, yeah. that's kind of it guiding does, him a little bit. It does something. Like, it's clearly doing something to Clark. We don't know what yet. I think it might be taking away his powers a little bit. It could, hard to say. It could be draining a little bit, but like I said, they really haven't dived into that a little bit. Because the only thing I could tell, because like you said, they haven't dove into it. We don't really know what it does, you know, other than it gives off a very distinct uh, energy signature, which they pick up on, you know, but it just seemed to activate and it kind of seemed to draw towards Clark the closer he got. So mm-hmm. that's what kind of lead me to believe it might be drawing off his powers a little bit. Yeah, so it's really interesting to see how this is all going to shake out because we have never seen Bizarro in a live action. No. And the writing team is really kind of experimenting about where to go with the character, which I do like. I really do enjoy this. Because as we see, Superman and him have a kind of a little battle to begin with, and then Bizarro takes off. Yep. And then when the Superman of America, oh, I hate that name. Yeah. Go to chase him. Well, they go to chase him after, you know, they pick up. So Clark and, and Steel pick up on the energy signature, but they need DOD satellites to track it because they're like, hey, listen, we don't have anything powerful enough. So Clark, in an F, in a show of good faith, mm-hmm. gives the little thumb drive to Anderson, like, hey, listen, what is this? Oh, it's a way to track and blah, blah, blah. They end up using it. Oh, he's in, I forget where the hell, Bol- Bolivia? Soler do India? Yeah, so like Bol- they're in Bolivia or someplace. Yes. <coughs> Excuse me. You know, so they, they track him down. And they're like, oh, should we, even the super folks, you know, the super friends, mm-hmm. <laughs> see what I did there. Uh, they go, oh, hey, shouldn't we call Superman on this one? And Anderson goes, no, he's not fit for this. We have this. And I'm like, oh, this is going to blow up in your face. Yes. So Superman does get the vision of the super friends trying to stop Bizarro and watches two of them die. Yeah, they go full invincible. Yeah. So Superman flies there. 
John Henry Irons does go as well, but the problem he's having is his armor is not up to snuff. And he hasn't just hasn't had the time to fix it. Like he knows how to fix it and his daughter knows how to fix it, but he's busy just with Superman constantly having these episodes and Bizarro just constantly showing up. The daughter's got to go to school. So mm-hmm. like they just haven't had time to fix it that like even when he so when John Steele takes off to help Superman, he's I think the the suit said he's operating at like 10% yeah. power. It's only 10% power, and the, like what he wanted to do was like, listen, it's going to leave you defenseless. And he's like, I know, do it. Yeah, so he makes the ultimate sacrifice to go there and is almost killed. Yeah. He's definitely put in the hospital. Luckily, he's going to survive this. Yeah. But Bizarro tears through him. Yep. Tears through the two other of uh, the Super uh, 3 there. Yep. Superman and him have a, a standoff pretty much. Yeah, Superman tells you the one remaining super friend to tag. leave. To, yep. leave, to leave. He, uh, Tag, grabs the amulet, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And that's how he escapes. And then Superman takes Steel back to get help from the United States Army Hospital. Yep. yep. And basically is left watching his friend really struggle to survive and is trying to figure out, okay, what do we do next? Is the daughter going to turn on him? I don't know. Because the daughter... Uh, the same day shows up into the house and Lois is in tears. What is it? Oh, it's your father. Cut to them going to the hospital and going in there. And Superman's just at an utter loss for words. And she goes, listen, you're Superman. You're supposed to be able to prevent this. Why couldn't you stop this? Which to me, it's like stereotypical villain moment getting built here. Well, I think you have to realize with Natalie Irons, who Taylor Buck is playing her very, very yeah. great this season too. You have to think that, okay, from where she comes from, Superman is public enemy number one because he is this unstoppable anger force that is killing everything on their planet to rule. Yeah. So, obviously, seeing him in this light is something that she's not comfortable with. Right. Even though her dad is saying, hey, listen, he's not the same guy. Yeah. It took a while for him to recognize that. It's going to take a while for her. I think what ultimately happens, and I know this is going to sound a little crazy, I think she builds her own suit. Mm, maybe. And I think that you see her take up the mantle maybe. while John Henry Irons is on the shelf. Because they did. there was the line in the episode that where, you know, I, I think Clark asked, oh, do you know this suit as well as your dad? And she said no, but simultaneously he said better. Yeah. So that's what I think. She's going to play a bigger role in this season in, this, in the fight against Bizarro. Could now, be. to what level, I don't know. But that's the one beauty of this show is... They have so many storylines going on that when they finally give time to them, you can definitely see a lot of good things coming from this. Like even with the Jordan working with uh, Sam Lane, right? That still has some potential to go somewhere it's because a small, it's a small throwaway line, but it's going to pay off down the road. Yeah, it's going to pay off down the road. It's going to bite him in the ass, but you know. Oh yeah, but this is how well this story is done by the writing and the acting on this show. That everybody, I, I felt, really got some time to shine. Like yeah. Superman got, probably got the less which amount. Is, which is fine, because he's been the focal focus point for most of the exactly. season. Exactly. So I did not mind seeing this. And like I said, Lois had probably the strongest moments, too. And obviously dealing with the emotional stress that has been going on between the sisters for all this time from what Allie has done with her cult. They really had a solid episode that was just, it was balanced. Like, it just, everybody had their moments. And I was glad that Jordan and Sarah just had a little less one, because it really has been feeling forced the past couple episodes. Yeah. So I'm glad that they kind of took a little bit of a backseat without sacrificing too much. This is just one of those episodes that, like, it was just solid all around. And where they're going to go for next episode, which we do have a break coming up. Yeah, it's a couple weeks. Yeah. 
which I mean, this happens with the CW, so it's not yeah, like yeah. anything's going on. It's just CW usually is juggling around shows around fe- February. They yeah. always they always have. Oh yeah, we're gonna have to really wait to see how this all shakes out. But I really thought this was a strong episode all around. Final thoughts on it, Pat? A uh, very strong episode. I, it was a nice change of pace for the kind of like the focus to change a little bit, but I, I did enjoy it. Yeah, absolutely. The show. If you're not on board yet, I don't know what to tell you. Start watching. You can watch season one on HBO Max right now. CW is having season two on the app. It's a perfect time to get caught up because this is by far and away the best CW DC comic show on the network right now. No question about it. Naomi is given a good run for number two, though. I got to say that. But Superman and Lois is absolutely crushing everything else right now. So hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHPod. What is your thoughts about episode four of season two of Superman and Lois, the inverse method? We want to know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is Tom from Tom Joe Lou. This is Matt from Sideroom Sounds. And you're listening to ODPH Podcast. Wanna go where no one knows my name To the desert, the oceans, or the plains Cause I Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. Pad, what you got for those one-shots? Got a couple of things to talk about, uh, two of them being video game related. Uh, And the first of which is, as a lot of you I'm sure have heard, PlayStation has bought Bungie uh, for $3.6 billion. Fuck out of here, man. Now, a lot of folks are saying, oh, this is in response to Xbox buying Activision. A deal of this magnitude and of this size doesn't happen in a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, this has been long, probably I would imagine long in the in the process and in in the kind of negotiations. I guess you could say, you know, is it good for the overall game? This and the you know Activision being acquired by Microsoft good for the overall gaming culture? No, uh, I think it's a little concerning that you're seeing all of these studios be bought up by two studios. It's is it great if you're a gamer? Sure, you know I I it's a little concerning for me. Uh, I don't necessarily like it, and I'm a PlayStation guy because it, it's a little concerning. Uh, so reading from the uh, blog post on PlayStation.com from Jim Ryan, he is the president and CEO of Sony Interactive Entertainment. Uh, he said, "Quote today, I'm happy to announce Bungie will be joining the PlayStation family." First off, I want to be very clear to the community that Bungie will remain an independent and multi-platform studio and publisher. As such, we believe it makes sense for all for it to sit alongside PlayStation, the PlayStation Studios organization, and we are incredibly excited about the opportunities for synergies and collaboration between these two world-class groups. I have spent a lot of time with Pete Parsons, Jason Jones, and the Bungie management team to develop the right relationships where they will be fully backed and supported by Sony Interactive Entertainment and enabled to do what they do best, build incredible worlds that captivate millions of people. Bungie's world-class expertise in multi-platform development and live game services will help us deliver on our vision of expanding PlayStation to hundreds of millions of gamers. Bungie is a great innovator and has developed incredible proprietary tools that will help PlayStation Studios achieve new heights under Herman Hulse's leadership. Uh, so definitely a bit of a surprise to say the least, Mm. you know, it doesn't sound like much is going to be changing. So any few, it doesn't sound like, Oh, Xbox is going to get excluded from future bungee content. Like, no, it's still going to come out as is, but still very interesting. And and like I said, very concerning people making a lot of money moves right now. Uh, this is true. As Ron from, uh, three fat nerds pointed out, well, they got to spend that Spider-Man money somehow. Yeah, this is true. I'm just kind of waiting to see a little bit after everybody's buying, like who's left and where are we going from here? And and, I mean, this 
is a very big deal. Like, this is not something that... Like, if you're not super big into video games, you should be keeping an eye on this. Yeah. So definitely have to wait and see how this yeah. all shakes out. And, and like, and, yeah, and it sounds like this won't be the last one PlayStation uh, acquires. Who Who's left? We'll see. I don't know. That's, like, that's the big thing, because this could... By, we're talking six months from now. I think you're going to see some big moving and shaking going on. Yeah. I, I don't have any, like, predictions, but I'm no, just going yeah. like... I, I, I know the remaining game studios of values and what they're worth has been thrown out there. The only one that's immediately jumping to mind that somebody could jump on is Konami. Yeah. You know, that's you know, like anything else. I think it's getting too big and I don't think the regulators will allow it. There was even an article I read this morning that the regulator, federal regulators might look into the Microsoft Activision deal. And, and so that might not go through. I'm not saying it's not going to go through, but there, there could be a chance that that gets hitched. There will come a point though. I think where the regulators will step in and go, ah, uh-uh, this is too much of a monopoly. We're not going to let this happen. Yeah, I think you're going to see something happen if it keeps going at this rate. Yeah. Uh, switching over to the other bit of video game news I have, uh, it was announced today that Gotham Knights uh, and the Suicide Squad uh, game, upcoming game from Warner Brothers has been delayed. Uh, so, yeah, the statement was posted on Twitter. Uh, the development team explained that it wants to give more time to develop the best possible experience for players. No real delay was really given, but it's it's likely it's COVID related. Just with everyone working, having to work from home, it's not as easy to work from home when it comes to multimedia projects like this and, and delays when you get sick and you're not exactly able to get out of bed and work. Mm-hmm. You know, so unfortunately, you know, it's it's it sucks. But hey, if it means you get a fully polished game and not a broken piece of shit like Cyberpunk was, it's it's all for the better. Yeah, just get it right the first time. That's all I want from this one. Yeah. I, I'm bummed about it, but I'll be still picking up whenever it comes I'm out. I'm bummed, but like I said, I don't want something to come out like Cyberpunk where the updates reached into the gigabytes in size. Mm-hmm. You know, just collect, like collectively, I think it took up almost half of the space on my PlayStation 4. Mm. And I was just like, this is utterly ridiculous. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then lastly, we did get a bit of an update from Channing Tatum and just about the whole X-Men Gambit cancellation. Uh, you know, reading uh, from an article on IGN.com, it says, quote, Channing Tatum says he still struggles with the cancellation of his X-Men Gambit project, saying he was traumatized when the project he uh, was put to bed in a new interview with Variety. The actor said he doesn't watch Marvel movies anymore because it makes him miss the character. Once Gambit was went away, I was so traumatized, Tatum said. I shut off my Marvel machine. I haven't been able to see any of the new movies, any of the movies. I loved that character. It was just too sad. It was like losing a friend because I was so ready to play him. Tatum wrote a script for the project alongside his longtime producing partner, Reed Carolyn. Uh, The movie was set to be a raunchy standalone movie in the same vein of the Deadpool movies. Tatum said he felt the gambit he wrote was the coolest person who could pull anything off. He also commented on Gambit's fashion sense, saying most superheroes, their outfits are utilitarian. Batman's got his belt. Gambit's like, no, this shit's just fly, bro. This shit's uh, this shit walked down the Paris runway last year. He was just wearing uh, he's just wearing the stuff that's so dope because he loves fashion. Uh, so a little bit of a surprising move for him, although I'm not quite sure why he's bringing it up now. Maybe he's trying to get it resurrected. Uh, all right. So in my opinion, from hearing that. Why are you trying to make Gambit into Deadpool? Like, that doesn't yeah. mesh. Like, the thing about Gambit is he's not somebody that breaks the fourth wall. No. You know, he's a thief that finds bad in no matter what good he does. Like, he he's, he's always flawed. And even though he does do some redeeming things, it's just his past always comes back to haunt him. Uh-huh. Like, if that's the take he was going to go with, I... I in my opinion, I think he just missed the character. Like that just that just does not sound like a good movie to me. Like and especially 
the fashion thing. I just yeah, I, 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 yeah. I, I, I'm sorry. Like that's that's it's, not doing anything to really sell me about. Like man, I wish they made that movie. As much as it sounds like it pained uh, Tatum to not do this movie, it sounds like it, we got saved from a train wreck. Yeah, because they're not Fox the, standalone movies have done so well. Yeah, exactly. Like, Hello, X Men Origins. Oh. Oh, okay. I'm just going to walk away from this one now. Ooh, this is bad. All right, happy thoughts. So let's talk about what's at the comic shops this week, shall we? Uh, we got from Batman 120 from DC, so obviously there's a lot of big things going on there. Marvel-wise, well, you know, we got a couple good books to go check out. I know, obviously, you're talking Star Wars Crimson Rain on your end for yeah. Star Wars. That's been yeah. doing some good things. And Daredevil Woman Without Fear. So Ooh. they've been do- doing some cool things there. And, you know, I got to obviously plug what's going on at Parley Points this week. And one of my favorite books out is Basilix, number seven. Okay. Cullen Bunn and Jonas Scharf are are putting this absolutely wild story together. Like, this is one that I didn't think I was going to enjoy as much as I am. But, holy crap, Basilix is just absolutely over the top. And when they go in full action sequences, it's not for the tame of heart. They don't pull punches. Shit gets wild. And I think they're really nailing the point home with this one. So definitely give that a very good high recommendation to go ahead at the LCS this week. So you would definitely want to make sure you're on top of that when you're going out to go get your books. And lastly, there was some Marvel news that kind of came out a little quietly that I definitely want to address quick. Okay. So we are hearing that in May... Iron Man is going to be proposing to Hellcat in the comics. Interesting. Yeah, so definitely something that's going to be worth keeping an eye on because I think that obviously whatever is going to be the follow-up from here might hit some mainstream news because obviously Iron Man is still one of the biggest characters in pop culture. But the news that really got me amped up, and Pat, I know you don't won't appreciate this as much as I did. Okay. We have the new Fantastic Four coming out in a new series from Marvel. Was not aware of this. Okay. Now, do you know who's in the new Fantastic Four? No. Okay. So, back in, I want to say, 90, 91 range. Okay. There was a break from the traditional Fantastic Four, the first family of Marvel Comics. Yeah. And in its place, we had Wolverine, uh-huh. Ghost Rider. Interesting. Hulk. Interesting. And Spider-Man. It's a weird team-up, but okay. It's a weird team-up, but... I, I knew Spider-Man was in there at one point because the PS4 video game uh, has the Fantastic Four suit in there, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. So, they're coming back. It's a limited series. Uh, Peter David is writing it with okay. Alan Robinson doing the art. Okay. Uh, listen, this book, when it came out, it definitely was dope. I mean, it could be because Arthur Adams was drawn in, and I'm a big mark for him. I think he does great work. But still... Just the fact you had those four heroes together, and at that time, too, it was like, wait, what is going on? Right. It was brief. It was only a couple issues for the story, so right, it wasn't right. like you know they had an extended run. But still, it, it's been however many years later now, Yeah. and fans are still excited about this. Like I said, when I read this, I was like, okay, you have my attention now, and I'm really excited to see when this uh, limited series comes out, so... Definitely have to keep my eye out for that in May as well. There's a lot of good comic stuff coming out too. Valiant's teasing some big announcement as well too. Oh. I have I and, and even though we do have press with them, I don't know exactly what it is. Ah, I kind of I, I, if I have to speculate, I'm thinking Archer and Armstrong. Which if mm. it is, I might lose it for a day on Twitter. 
because I freaking love that book. But we'll have to wait and see. But I know they're teasing something big coming very, very soon. So definitely keep your eyes on social media. But that's why we always tell you, support your favorite indie podcast that cover comics because we usually have a lot to say on social medias. And there's a lot of them that you definitely need to go check out, obviously starting with your friends here at the ODPH. So, Pat, that all being said, the music you heard on this episode is that Shout of the Robots. They're big comic fans. They're big fans of everything in general. They're awesome people. Where do I go to find out about them? ODPHpodcast.com. Right on. Swing over to the music section. Check out everything going on with Shout. Everything going on with Floodlands. Tom Jalou. Yard Party. Brian Wolf. The list goes on and on and on. Second suitor. I could keep rambling on about these fantastic musicians, but this is why I say go check the music section out and become fans yourself and go support the hell out of them. Also, while you're at the website, check out the directory where we have links to the podcast on your favorite podcast provider. Pat, how many do we have now? Like 16,500. And 12. So it is something you definitely want to go check out if you're like, hey, I want to listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Boom, it's right there. I want to listen to it on Stitcher. Boom, it's right there. You can just hit favorite, follow, like, subscribe, and it goes right to you each and every week, and that's what you want. I can't tell you no, because I, I recommend it myself. Also, you can check out the Classifieds, which has Friends of the Show, Organizational Link Support, and Black Lives Matter. All the amazing pod groups we earn via their pod chaser pages. So, obviously, shout out to the Inner Circle. Shout out to the Apollips. Shout out to 8122 Productions and our friends over. Uh, well, obviously, our friends at 8122 Productions. I usually say 607 podcasts in front of it, but I'm so amped up to talk about them. That's why I'm saying go check out their Patreon, because they got a lot of good stuff coming on. All of that, the T Public Store, where you know you want to get some UPH swag. You know you do. Also, Parlay Points, too. Go check out the blogs. New ones coming this week. Just saying. All that and so much more. ODPHpodcast.com. That's all I got for this week. So for the one only, Pat and Juan J. Thank you, thank you. I'm your host, Ken M. Thank you, as always, for listening to the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. Special thanks again to Alan Dunford for swinging through. Go pick up Pocus Hocus. We'll see you next time.